0: You're listening to Denver Orbit, featuring voices. I'm going to give you an awkwardly long and uncomfortable list of reasons why you shouldn't shave outside. Stories.
1: Now, he was very outspoken about the effects of of war on himself. And music from Colorado's creative community. Listen at DenverOrbit.com or on Apple Podcasts. Google Play, Stitcher, or most other
0: podcast apps.
1: The John of All Trades podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak. speak. show. 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 show! You have
0: all made it through the day.
1: You have to you from the X It's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades Podcast, episode 192. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, I've got a job that I have always been very professionally curious about. It's something that touches many of our lives. I am hard-pressed to think of anyone who has not gone through their life without a pet. And so on this week's show, I've got Dr. Claire Ennis. She is the owner and also a practicing veterinarian at Canyon View Animal Hospital. Now, I was hooked up with her by CJ Latham. Claire knows him as Clint. Evidently, that's what he goes by in his professional life. I know him as CJ. I met CJ for the first time in sixth grade. He was on this show just a few months ago talking about bike a latte. And his pre-ride cold brew, which is a fabulous product. I don't react all that well to caffeine, but man, did it taste good. He also hooked me up with Eric Yoakum, the founder of Two Rivers Coffee. So he has just been a wealth of resources here. It's been fantastic. Big shout out to you, CJ. Now, I grew up with birds, which I realize puts me sort of in the freak category and also kind of uh, maybe fills in the picture for you a little bit about me. I've been told I'm kind of an unusual cat. I'm cool with that. And I grew up with birds. We got a dog when I was 11. I now have two meowing jerk faces who live here. One has diabetes. One has arthritis. So we're paying out the gazoo for insulin, for needles, for special cat food, for gabapentin. The list goes on and on and on. Now, there are times where I sort of grumble about that and I'm upset about that. But ultimately, you do it because you love them. Your pets are a part of your family. And what is part of being in a family? It's making sure they're well taken care of. You got to get them to the doctor. And I would argue a lot of people probably take their pets to the doctor more than they take themselves. I certainly fall in that category. It's not something I'm necessarily proud of, but there you go. That's kind of the way it is. So let's get into it. Let's find out what actually goes into being a veterinarian. And Dr. Claire Ennis is really, really good about giving me the nitty gritty here. We talk about a lot in this episode, and it's fascinating. We talk about the crushing amount of debt that you get when you go to vet school. It's the same as human doctors. How messed up is that? But the ceiling for earning power is a lot lower than it is for, I don't know, let's say you're a vascular surgeon or something, right? Or maybe a plastic surgeon. Well, when you picture doctors, you're like, okay, doctors are probably balling. You know, vets, probably not as much. And she gets into that a little bit. She also talks about what goes into her day-to-day. How much of it is wellness visits? I mention these ads that you see on cable all the time for the Ray Institute. If you're here in Colorado, you've probably seen them somewhere between, I don't know, 300 and infinity times. But it's a very smiley, sort of light, effervescent kind of commercial. Like, hey, do you love animals? Well, come in. You get to play with puppies and kitties and make sure they're okay. And you send them on their way and you give little kids lollipops and whatever, right? The reality is a little bit different than that, as you might expect, which is sort of the reason for this show's existence entirely. I want to learn. I want to find out more. And so we talk about everything from doing wellness exams to teeth cleaning, to surgery, to euthanasia. Seriously, we get into it. We talk about the process of euthanasia. How many is she doing a week? How is she dealing with patients? How does she handle the grief? Because Obviously, she can't carry it with her, so how does she handle it? How does she do self-care while being there for her clients? It's fascinating. It's a little dark. It's a little sad, but that's one part of the episode. I guarantee you, you will get something out of this episode that you did not know before, and I'm just thrilled to pieces to bring it to you. Dr. Claire Ennis is the owner of Canyon View Animal Hospitals, so if you are on the southwest side of town... She's down right by Ken Carroll and C470. You can find all the details about Canyon View Animal Hospital on the companion blog piece, johnofalltrades.us. That's J-O-N of all trades, all one word, U-S. Like to give a quick shout to the John of All Trades social media platforms. Be sure you're following me on those. Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. Instagram, if you're interested in this episode, is where I put all the photos of my cats under the hashtag worst coworker ever. I work from home, and these cats are intent on impeding my productivity every single day, so I document it. You'll enjoy it there. That's the only plug at the front end of this episode, so let's get to it. Episode 192 features Dr. Claire Ennis. She is the owner and a practicing veterinarian at Canyon View Animal Hospital, and her episode starts right now.
0: ate homemade eggs benedict
1: you made homemade eggs benedict today? well
0: i didn't make the hollandaise myself it was out of the packet so it's really not that good
1: okay my but husband. it's like a thursday and you're just whipping up <laughs> eggs benedict <laughs> it
0: was, it was, i got up early in preparation for this and so i had time so that's what i mean
1: <laughs> that's fantastic it,
0: it's actually not that good my husband calls it egg soup or egg broth. <laughs> it's not like the stuff you get at the restaurant. Okay. I don't recommend it. <laughs> uh,
1: so if we're going to your house and you say we're having eggs benedict, I'm like, I'll pass on the yeah. egg soup.
0: <laughs> that would be wise. A wise choice. Okay.
1: Yeah. Fair enough. Uh were you supposed to come in today?
0: Yes, I wasn't going to come in until this afternoon. Okay. Um Thursdays are normally my day off. However, the former owner who only works a couple afternoons a week sprained her ankle really badly. Okay. Probably like two weeks ago and couldn't come in for her shift. So I was cov- I'm was i covering her shift.
1: Okay. But you're talking with me, so you're not covering much, right? No,
0: no. Her shift's afternoon only. Oh, so, okay.
1: I follow you. Yeah. Um, so Thursday's off. Are you, are you open seven days a week?
0: No, thank God. I yeah. think my staff would kill me. Uh, we're only open six days a week, so Monday through Saturday.
1: Okay. That's the same as my vet. So I'm yeah. on like the other side of town. And yeah, Sundays, sometimes like because one of my cats is diabetic. And we have we have to buy the special food for them, uh-huh. which is nice and expensive. Yep, is so great. <laughs> um, but sometimes it'll it'll we'll be cutting it close on like Sunday night. It's like, look, boys, <laughs> this
0: the, is all you get.
1: Yeah, the void the void the vet's office isn't open, uh, so. You're going to have to muddle through. We'll get there first thing in the morning because they open nice and early, too. Yeah. Is that true of you all, too?
0: So we open at 7.30 in the morning, which is fairly early by my standards. So um, Saturdays, we don't open until 9. We have limited hours just to make everyone a little bit happier on my end of things.
1: All right. Yeah. All right. So this is Dr. Claire Ennis, and you are the owner of Canyon View Animal Hospital. And also, you practice, right?
0: Yes, correct.
1: Okay. You were telling me that it's unusual for someone of your age to own a practice like this. Yes. All right. So can you tell me how you came to own it?
0: Yeah. So I think as with a lot of things in life, there is some luck involved. Sure? I, I started practicing here well, as a vet tech back in 2010. Okay, And I really enjoyed it, and I ended up applying to vet school and getting into vet school up at Colorado State. Oh,
1: one of the premier vet schools. Yeah. And I'm also a Ram, so...
0: Yeah, well, I'm a double Ram because I got my my undergrad degree there, too. I'm a
1: double Ram as well. (laughs) Um, I've never heard it put that way.
0: It's like a double IPA. Yeah, it is like a double IPA, (laughs) which is not my thing. I know it's yours, but... uh, So I, I got into vet school up at CSU, and I went up there for four years, and... In between, on weekends and summers, I would come down here and still be a vet tech. So I still had my toes in the water. Sure. Uh, And then, so Dr. Bumpers is the former owner, and she has been my mentor, and she's been amazing. She had been talking about selling the practice for years, but had never quite gotten around to it. Mm -hmm. And right before I graduated, she got serious about it and enlisted a practice broker, and I started thinking to myself, gosh... I already know the business, I know the staff, I know the clients. Yeah. My ultimate goal is to own a practice. There's nothing stopping me from doing it now. Why not? There's uh, nothing
1: stopping you? Not even like money?
0: Well, that's not true. Money was the one of the trickiest parts um, and we can get into that. I, I'm lucky in that my husband has been in a career for 10 years. If, if I didn't have his support, there's no way I could have sure. swung this. Um, but I had to get a, a practice loan, so a business loan. And that was tricky because as a new grad, the normal big lenders like Wells Fargo and Bank of America were like, uh uh-uh, I'm not touching you with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> um,
1: right. Cause at, at this point, out of vet school, you're what, like 23, 24? Gosh,
0: no. Um, I'm, I'm actually on tomorrow. I turned 31. Wow. Uh, Happy yeah. early birthday. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I would say, and I, I kind of took the long path. I, originally thought I was going to go to dental school. And so I was a dental assistant for a few years and then I did the whole bar restaurant work thing in oh, my sure, early twenties. Yeah. Uh, so I took some time off in between my, my last undergraduate degree and vet school. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little bit older, but I would say even the majority of my classmates by the time they graduated were 26 or older. Right. Um,
1: but still pretty young to be a business owner.
0: Sure. Very young. And, and I'm, I am the only one of my graduating class that jumped right into purchasing a practice. Wow! So, and it's definitely not something that's common. (laughs) And I don't think I would have done it if the opportunity hadn't been sitting right under me just because I was so comfortable with this particular practice and the staff and the clients, it was an easy choice for me.
1: Sure. I, well, I mean, it's serendipity is what you're describing. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you go almost straight from vet school to owning a practice. When you're in vet school, do they are there classes about like business ownership, entrepreneurship, that kind of thing?
0: Actually, yes, but that's a recent development. So my third year, we had gosh, it was probably three weeks. Uh, they called it professional development, okay, and that's all they talked about. They talked about um, business management how to go about buying a practice, um, financials, so like profit and loss, balance right. sheets, all that really exciting stuff. Mm-hmm. But that that's a newer thing. So I know that like when when Dr. Russell, who's um, the associate here, and Dr. Bumper's went to school, they had zero training on
1: yeah. that. Well, I mean, it's one of those things where I talk about this on the show all the time. You're trained for your specific vocation, right? You're trained to be a vet. But you're not trained to be a business owner. You know, there's not a lot of training in terms of, you know, how do you structure a payroll? How do you, uh, you know, structure people's hours? Onboarding, offboarding, insurance, all that kind of stuff, right? So, I mean, three weeks is good, but I would speculate wildly incomplete. (laughs) Is that fair?
0: Uh, Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) And I'm lucky in that my first undergraduate degree was a business marketing degree. Oh, okay. So, granted, that was. 10 years plus ago, um, and I don't know how much I remember from it. Well, sure. (laughs) Uh, But I at least have a little bit of business background, whereas my classmates that didn't have that experience, you know, don't have any business background. So, yeah, it's certainly incomplete and it's something that you have to kind of learn as you do it. I also had um, some support around me in terms of other veterinarians who I was able to ask, hey, who do you use for accounting? Who do you use for your lawyer? Who like right. so? I I had this amazing support team around me, and without their recommendations, it would have been really tricky.
1: Well, and did Dr. Bumper stick around and kind of mentor you and uh, shepherd you through this?
0: Yes, yes. So she uh, has been. She's still here. She normally works a couple afternoons a week, uh, and the first probably I would say the first few weeks, few months that I actually got my license and started practicing as a vet. We gave me, you know, longer appointments, so I had time to ask questions, mm. uh, time to write my records, which is still ridiculously time-consuming. Mm. But, yeah, she and the other veterinarians here are amazing. And every time I had a question or I wanted another opinion on x-rays or blood work, they were there to, to yeah. help me.
1: So, yeah. but, I mean, ultimately, the decision-making rests with you. Like, yes. I mean, you, the buck stops here. Right? Yeah. What, I mean, how was that going from essentially being a student to all of a sudden you're in charge.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a a very scary transition. And I think any new grad doctor or veterinarian would tell you that because you learn how to do things, but then all of a sudden you're the one in charge and and it's a life or death situation in some, in some cases. I I was lucky in that I had a lot of vet med experience coming into it. And so I was more confident for that reason. And so I think that probably wasn't quite as hard for me as it was for some of my classmates uh, also because of the great support team I had around me but you just have to get to a point where you you commit to a decision if you're unsure about anything you ask other people you look up mm-hmm. in, in resources i'm lucky cuz we have great online resources we have great telemedicine consultants that i can call on the phone oh, nice. um, so if i don't know something the answer is not far away.
1: Right. You know where to look. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And I mean, that's, it's nice that we are so interconnected now as a society to where those resources are available. uh, Whereas in the past, it probably would have been a little more, more difficult where it's like, God, I
0: hope to answer the phone. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Dr. (laughs) Dr. Bumpers and I were talking about this and she's like, it's crazy what you have available to you now. I can't even imagine having to come out uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago and, and practice back then, you know, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have all of these amazing textbooks. There were some, but they weren't, sure. they weren't as good. And yeah. now in our modern day age, we're more about working together, mm-hmm. you know, groups, teams, um, and everything's just a little bit more integrated. So I'm really, really lucky in that respect. Yeah.
1: So, no joke. Yeah. Okay. So in terms of the day to day here, you know, you walked me through and, you know, you've got num- a, a number of different things going on. There was one patient getting uh, teeth cleaned. Mm. You mentioned there was uh, a dog or a cat that you had recently spayed. Yeah. Um, those strike me as fairly rote, routine type things. I mean, nothing is ever rote or routine because we're dealing with living beings and, you know, everyone is different. But w- walk me through some of the services that you offer.
0: Yeah. So uh, general practice is interesting because we are a little bit different than like your human general practitioner mm-hmm. in that we do a lot of different things we we kind of are this is terrible to use on your show but it's like a jack of all trades <laughs> um so we no um, pun intended. <laughs> we are we offer routine preventative care so okay. annual exams vaccines deworming mm-hmm. that's kind of the the ideal situation to be in right when we have a, a healthy pet and we can find any problems in advance we also do things like anesthesia dental cleaning is really mm-hmm. common uh we'll take masses off the skin that's a really common thing in dogs oh
1: like skin tags that yeah kind of thing? skin
0: tags um lipomas fatty tumors yeah. really common thing my so, parents
1: dog used to get that all the time it's
0: Just, it's really common
1: and uh that was a bichon so oh little dog. Was, yeah is yeah. that fairly regular for them
0: it it seems to be really dog dependent like okay. really variable with the individual right, fair enough um And so we do soft tissue surgery like that. So we'll take, you know, skin masses off. Uh, We'll do soft tissue abdominal surgery. So we'll do spays. So we go and remove the ovaries and the uterus. Uh, Same thing with the neuters. Sure. There are some other more complicated surgeries that uh, it's interesting because if I'm comfortable doing and I want to, I can offer it. But usually what I'll do is I'll have a board certified veterinary surgeon come in and do those. Okay. Like, um, dogs will tear their, their CCL, which is the same as the ACL in the humans in oh, the okay. knee, and I don't like doing orthopedic surgery, so we'll call in a board-certified surgeon to do that here, and so we can offer that as well. Gotcha. Um, what about
1: like emergency surgeries?
0: So that's an excellent question. We will see emergencies during normal business hours. However, we're not set up as an emergency clinic, so we right. don't have like an oxygen cage. Uh, and if the doctors are all busy with appointments during the day, it can be hard for us to do emergency surgery. The one that I think is probably the most common that we encounter is a foreign body, like a dog, like a a young lob retriever, (laughs) (laughs) ate something he wasn't supposed to, uh, which is a rite of passage for them. Uh, And it got stuck in the intestines. It's like a dog bar mitzvah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the owners, you know, waited out for three days and then the dog comes in really, really sick and they need to, we need surgery then and there. So if we have time, we are totally capable, you know, as vets of of doing that procedure. Um, and if we don't have the time, we can call in one of our board certified surgeons Mm. to do it here. Wow. Or if we have to, we'll refer elsewhere to one of the big ER clinics. Okay. Denver is amazing. We have so many wonderful specialty and emergency clinics with all of these board-certified specialists.
1: Do you know, is that unusual uh, for a city? I mean, is Denver more flush with those than other cities?
0: I don't think. For the big cities, they tend to be pretty common. We might be a little more saturated because of the proximity of CSU up in Fort Collins with the vet school. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But in general, big metropolitan areas have a lot of that care. It gets a lot trickier when you get into the rural small communities where you might just have one vet, you know, like us, like a general practitioner that might not be comfortable doing some of those more advanced things. Um, But here we're lucky. Yeah, we have those resources.
1: Wow. Yeah, Uh, that's that's really cool. I was thinking on the way over here about there's this episode of Seinfeld where Kramer has a cough. Do you remember this I don't one? I
0: remember. I love Seinfeld, by I don't oh, know if I remember okay. that particular episode. And
1: uh, he sees a dog on the street that has the same cough, and it's this really comedic effect. The dog just sort of opens its mouth, and someone overdubbed, like, a cough effect. Okay. Oh, gotcha. And uh, so Kramer's like, I'll take, uh, <laughs> I'll take a vet over a human doctor any day, <laughs> because a vet has to be able to cure a dog, a rat, a chicken, a pig. <laughs> and so... And he comes in and he's like, it really hurts when he drinks orange juice or dog food juice. So (laughs) my question to you is, obviously, there's dogs and cats. Those are the two most common things. Yeah. Do you treat other animals?
0: So we don't anymore. We used to, Dr. Bumpers in particular, used to treat what we call exotics. So she would treat birds, uh, rabbits, hamsters, guinea pigs, rats. When I graduated, I was hoping to be able to do that. But I realized quickly that I just didn't have the experience I needed. And my staff wasn't comfortable handling the exotics patients. And, you know, it's a different thing holding a bird
1: than
0: holding a dog or a cat.
1: I grew up with birds, and you did too. I did too, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, birds are just different. They're very different. I mean, it's an entirely different. What am I looking for? It's been a while since biology, but like a different class Uh,
0: yeah well the anatomy is totally different because in terms of well they're not mammals so that's that's what I mean
1: like so what level is that Um, there's like phylum kingdom oh gosh you're
0: bringing me back to my biology courses (laughs) I know and I can't remember it's in animalia but I'd have to I don't know yeah Yeah, I don't know the exact genus
1: species I can't remember
0: yeah it's not genus or species we're above that okay Um, but
1: I think it's class then
0: yeah that sounds right
1: yeah Uh phylum who knows
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh, biology. Um, But yeah, so their anatomy is totally different and the handling is different. They also are a little bit more fragile. Yeah. And so I just, you know, in talking with my staff and in terms of my comfort level with treating them, we decided that it would be in our client's best interest, honestly, not to see the exotics. Well, do
1: something well or don't do it at all, Exactly,
0: yeah. Yeah. I I don't want to do people's pets a disservice.
1: Do people ever call up and they're like, hey, I got this snake that seems to be... Oh, yeah. (laughs) Really?
0: Yeah. They'll call and say... Well, they usually say, do you see blank? Mm -hmm. And it it can be one of many things. I think the most unusual one we've gotten is a monkey...
1: A monkey. And I'm
0: like, I definitely do not see monkeys. <laughs> There's probably some weird law against either owning monkeys or yeah. I'm not. I'm not exactly sure, but um, well, if
1: we're going back to NBC Thursday nights, Ross had that monkey, and that was illegal. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, and then we get actually. Do you to have chicken calls now? I think chickens. because backyard chickens are moment. Oh common.
1: yeah. God, that's a weird thing to me. Yeah. Um. I. I have no desire to start farming. No. But, um. It, because I mean that's. You're signing up for a lot of labor when you I do I know,
0: that. my husband wants them really badly and I'm like who's going to watch them every time we go out of town? Yeah. And then the infectious disease side of me is like I don't want to be ground zero of like the next, you know, bird flu. major bird flu outbreak. So, yeah. <laughs> no, I think chickens are great and it's great that people have them in in the backyard, but it's not for me.
1: <clears throat> well, it's great to whatever extent. It's actually great. Yeah. You know, if people are good at it, then yeah. more power to them, but Yeah. If you're just some, you know, run of the mill sort of Tom, Dick, or Harry, maybe not. Who knows? But uh, I think time will tell on that quite a bit.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll see.
1: (laughs) So, what are the majority of the calls that you get? Is it majority wellness or?
0: Uh, I would say it's about half and half. Okay. Uh, We do a lot of wellness, like annual exam, vaccines. And then I would say trying to rank the remainder. Uh diarrhea is real high up there. <laughs> mm. Ah,
1: the diarrhea. <laughs> yeah,
0: the diarrhea. Very common. Uh ear infections. Okay. Are common.
1: Why are they common?
0: That's a good question. Ear infections, uh, can be caused by a variety of things. It can be an anatomical issue with the dog. So say they have a narrow ear canal. It's hard for the, the normal migration of the cells and the goo to come out.
1: Hmm. Um,
0: they might have underlying allergies. That's a really another a common thing that predisposes to ear infections. So, uh, dogs can be allergic either to something in their food or to something in the environment. Okay. And that inflames the skin. Interestingly, they rarely get the runny eye, runny nose thing. Oh, sure. Yeah. For whatever reason, their allergies present in the skin and the ear canals are just an extension of skin. So if the ear canals get inflamed from allergy, all of the bacteria and the little yeast that normally live there in low numbers overgrow and cause ear infection.
1: Okay. Yeah. All right. So, but so you've got wellness, you've got ear infections, you've got the diarrhea and then, uh, uh, and then you've got your more sort of critical type things that happen, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's usually in Older patients. I mean, obviously the sure. older a dog or a cat gets, the more likely that it's going to be something bad like cancer. I would say we're lucky here. Most of our clients, uh, do a really good job taking care of their pets and, okay. and, um, most of them want to do whatever they can to keep their pets comfortable. Um, but yeah, so behind diarrhea, ear infections and skin issues in general, Gosh, what would be the next most common? Is
1: that why, I mean, most people want to keep their pets healthy. Is that why I'm shelling out so much money for diabetic cat food and insulin and needles? Yes. And the other one, uh, is arthritic. So he's on, oh, gab- no. <laughs> he's on gabapentin. Oh, I love gabapentin for
0: arthritic <laughs> pets. Yeah. Um, yeah,
1: he's kind of high after he takes y- it. Yeah. So he, you see him and he's wandering around. He's like, man. This is good. Yeah, and he lays down and he looks just like the chillinest.
0: Cats dude usually ever. love love their drugs for the most part. Um,
1: <laughs> Throw on a little Bob Marley, he's all set. It's
0: it's funny because we um, sometimes get what we call fractious cats, which okay. means that they're extremely difficult to handle in the clinic. Like they'll bite and scratch, uh-huh. and it's usually not that they're mean per se; they're just. Really, really anxious and scared. You know, cats don't get out a lot.
1: Yeah. New people and you in know, new you, they're environment. being handled and yeah. strangers.
0: Yeah. And, and gabapentin is a drug that we can give at higher doses than normal prior to a visit to mm. chill them out and, and decrease their anxiety <laughs> and make it so that we can actually do an exam on them.
1: It's like, here, we're going to give you this. And then they come in and they go, that's cool, man. Do whatever you can yep, do. Yeah. That's
0: kind of how it works. Fantastic. <laughs> it is fantastic. Um, and now I lost my train of
1: thought. Uh, I apologize. <laughs> uh, it's all the drug talk.
0: It, it, is, it is. There's.
1: It is. We're a little bit contact high from the words gabapentin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Gabapentin is also uh, used commonly in human medicine. So. Yeah,
1: it is. I do not react well to it because I herniated a disc did not do good things oh, to
0: interesting. me. I've never I've never had it. Uh, it's,
1: uh, I don't recommend it for myself, but I understand it's highly effective in a lot of ways. So when you see ads for like vet school, I'm thinking when you're watching cable and there's always ads for like the Bell Ray Institute or oh, whatever. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, and they're always couching it in this way, like, hey do you like animals? Do you get to work with animals? And you know, it and it seems like a really fun and appealing and sort of like very light kind of work right yeah <laughs> but uh, i'm guessing the reality is sort of different from that
0: the reality is very different and so you're talking about bell ray which is a local vet veterinary technician school which is great
1: right that they have ads all the time yeah
0: i know exactly which ones you're talking yeah. about so it's interesting because I hear that all the time, like, oh, your job must be so great. You work with puppies and kittens all day. And it is great, and I absolutely love it. And sometimes I get to work with puppies and kittens. Right, and we
1: were playing with some back there. Yes, like, <laughs> yeah.
0: We have we have seven kittens here right now that a, a good Sam brought in, and I uh, begrudgingly took in. And um, we have found homes for all of them, which is a success story. Well done. And, and so that's great. We can go back right now and play with kittens at any time. But it's interesting because the... The majority of our work is not like that, and uh, I think, you know, we obviously have the medicine side of things, um, but more than the medicine side of things, I think people underestimate how much of the human interaction there is. Oh yeah, and and so you know, because when you come in with your pet, you know, your pet can't tell me what's wrong, um, and so I have to talk to you and, and get a history from you and figure out you know, what is happening at home? What are you seeing? Mm -hmm. And together with that history and my exam findings kind of piece together what we think is going on. Um, And that is probably my favorite and least favorite part of my job all at Mm -hmm. the same time, because I absolutely love interacting with people. I'm definitely more of an extrovert and I love helping them figure out what's wrong with their pet and, and hopefully, you know, making their pet feel better But there are days, too, where when you've had, you know, 20 different appointments, that can be really draining. Yeah. Um. Because you're talking to 20 different people who, you know, that's 20 different communication styles. And some of those conversations are really hard because I don't always get to give good news. Um, And sometimes, too, I have to, you know, euthanize someone's pets. So I think that's the side of things that people... Don't really think about when they think about vets. They think, oh, you're just playing with puppies and kittens, and yeah, yeah sometimes just doing I wellness can. exams. Yeah, right? no. Um, <laughs> but a lot of times, I'm like cleaning up pus or blood from something, or there's diarrhea all over, or I'm having to tell someone that their pet has cancer. Yeah. So that stuff is is really, really hard. Um, and I absolutely love my job, and I would, would not want to do anything else. But I think people underestimate kind of that kind of darker side.
1: Well, in a lot of ways, you become a grief counselor. Yes. And what is that like? Is that, again, something that you learn in vet school, or is that something that you pick up along the way?
0: So a little bit of both. Once again, I'm lucky in that our curriculum, at least up at Colorado State in the last five years, has instituted this program. It's basically the they call it communications, ah. and it's exactly what it sounds like, which is amazing because otherwise you'd have to learn it. On the fly, uh, and at the time, all of us, I think, hated it. Um, we, well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, not
1: hard to understand and why. So,
0: one of the things that we had to do, which looking back is, is pretty funny, we would have these role-playing situations with um, hired actors. Wow, who were hired to act by clients, and there would be they would be different cases with different situations, but there was something sticky with with it with the communications process with every client. Oh, and so they
1: they would be equipped with like some sort of speed bump or like.
0: Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So um, we would actually, they had a one-way mirror in the exam room. Yeah. And so I, myself or one of my classmates would be in there in the middle of this interaction and we would be recorded um and we had have four classmates on the other side of a glass all listening hell. watching making notes on what they thought went well or didn't go well um and they they do all of this training in terms of how to communicate uh you know making eye contact pauses so sure. pausing while the client's talking reflexive listening which even though i hated it at the time it was very valuable.
1: Well, it's got to be very painful. Like, no one likes watching themselves. No one. <laughs> Part of what I do is I, I equip people to get ready to go, uh, like, on camera or prepare for interviews with reporters. So, yeah. I mean, we'll analyze their technique and, you know, like, make your point here, not here. Or if they ask you this question, here's how you take that pivot to... Uh huh. Like, so, yeah. I, I mean, what you're describing is exactly what I do, just applied in a very specific context.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And I remember, I probably shouldn't say this because I don't know if they still use this scenario, but before my second one, so the, we do this twice, um, and the first time is a little bit easier, and the second time they give you more difficult clients. Oh, sure. and. I knew I was in trouble before I even went into the room because I could see through the little glass door. It was this really tall guy in a business suit pacing the room and looking at his watch. Oh, God. Uh, I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be so terrible. Uh, And it went better than I thought it was going to. But it's still really painful. And it's really painful. What was this
1: scenario, though? Um,
0: Do you remember? Oh, yeah. I will never forget (laughs) Uh He had a sick cat. He isn't the one in charge of the cat. It's his wife's cat. His uh, wife's out of town, out of service. We can't reach her. He is an extremely busy businessman, has no time, basically wants me to promise him that the cat's going to live, but he needs to go right away.
1: Yeah, he's got and, some meeting
0: or client yeah, call and or, he, or whatever. And he was very grumpy about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um So I just, what they wanted me to get out of that was like, understanding that when someone looks at their watch, they might have time commitments. It's like the nonverbal cues essentially. And then I just was like, let's do this as quickly as possible. I'll get what I need from you and I'll get you on your way. Um, and it seemed to work pretty well, but I, I will remember it forever. Wow. And hopefully they're not using that one anymore so that no other vet student knows what's coming. Well, I'm sure they'll (laughs) modify
1: it. I mean, these, these Um, scenarios always need to be refreshed because I do also different types of communication training for people who are interacting with different types of stakeholders whether they're talking to government or they're talking to the community or whatever and you have to change them up like yeah just that, no matter yeah, who you are yeah so. and
0: I'm, I'm sure it would get down through the grapevine eventually anyway and as painful as it was for me doing it it's also just as painful watching your classmates because oh, yeah. they're your friends and you're just like oh god like i i know exactly what you're thinking right now and mm. um it was pretty funny at the time and stressful, but it was extremely valuable. And in this
1: scenario, did that guy's cat live?
0: I don't. They didn't ever even tell me. I mean, that's not okay. the point. But I actually got him to sit down in his chair, which the moderators told me never happens. Oh, nice. So they were like, "You, you did a pretty good job."
1: Because I was picturing the scenario unfolding like, "Look, just fix the cat. Tell me it's going to live, so I can get the hell out of here, right?" And then your job is to deliver the news. Look.
0: Well, this cat's not doing well. Well, the problem was the cat would probably live, but I can't promise him it was going to live because oh, right. I hadn't even looked at it yet. And so it's like, that's the tricky part. Okay. The nice thing is that in reality, I rarely, if ever, have <laughs> interactions with clients that are like that. My sure. clients are so nice and accommodating. And uh, even when they're, you know, stressed out or grieving, um, they're almost across the board wonderful. And so... That kind of prepared me for the worst case scenario, which here I have yet to okay. even encounter. Well, I
1: mean, that's the point of training too. Yeah. I always tell people when we're doing media training, look, I'm going to be harder on you than I think the journalist is going to be. Yeah. Because that way, when you get out there and you're swinging, like, like it's he, easy. you're hitting home runs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, so that's what a good training program should be. Practice is always awful, right? Oh, was, yeah. I, terrible. I mean, no one likes training. No one likes practice. Think of Alan Iverson going, you know, we talking about practice. Um, no one enjoys it, but that said, it is valuable because once you're playing sort of to quote the West wing with live ammo here, you want to be like ready. You you can go to those muscles and know how to use them.
0: And I still learn every day. Sometimes I'll get out of an exam room and I'll think, gosh, the way I phrased that seemed a little bit funky. Like I'm going to change it for next time or, or it didn't seem to connect to the client. And this is important too, because you know, when you go to the vet, At least for me, before I was in this field, you go expecting that you're going to get good medical care. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a a given. And what the important thing that you're looking for, too, is a a connection. So you want to like your veterinarian, you want to have a bond with (laughs) them, right? Like that's important to people. And especially here at our clinic, where we're small, we're kind of, I call this like a boutique vet mm, clinic. Sure. That's our advantage is that we're more personalized. We know who you are. We know your name. You can see the same doctor every time. And so it's really important to have that bond with clients. Uh, and that's partly why the communication thing is so important. Oh yeah, no. So, I mean,
1: and yeah. when you get down to it, every job is communication, whether yeah. people want it to be or not. Yeah. So, okay. Question for you. And this is a tough question, but are you euthanizing someone every day? Or a pet every day?
0: I would say no, not every day. Uh, Sometimes we have runs of pets that get sick at the same time, it seems, and we have to do multiple in a day. But on average, I would say it's just a couple a week.
1: Okay. But, Um, But, I mean, that's a couple of times a week. That's more death than most people deal with you know, yeah. like a couple of times a week, that's more than some people will deal with in a year or maybe even two years. Yeah. And so I guess my question is, how do you handle that grief? Because you can't carry it with you. No, you can't. Like you need to be present and, you know, with your clients, but you know, by, by the same token, you do have to take care of yourself and you can't just add these all into a sack and walk around carrying it. Right. No,
0: you're You're totally right. And that's, that's um, a, a really good question. And actually something that my friends ask me a fair amount. Euthanasia is, it, it's interesting. So people rarely are euthanizing their pets without having gotten into that decision, you know, Yeah, with... fully understanding right. what they're doing. And, <laughs> and for me, I view euthanasia as a gift. Mm. Uh, and I think most, most pet owners, view it as a gift as well, because you are relieving suffering. And so the, the act itself of euthanizing someone's pet isn't what's hard for me. It's seeing them upset. Yeah, yeah. And it's the empathy component of it. So, you know, some of these pets I might have known for 10 years since I started teching sure. here. Um, and same with the owners, uh, and seeing them crying and saying goodbye. Like even now it makes me want to tear up just because of the yeah. empathy. Me too. Of it. Yeah. Um, and I so had we, to go
1: with my mom um, yeah. because my dad was out of town. And Ugh. so, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, she didn't
1: want to be alone. So,
0: yeah. And I don't, I don't blame her. And, and that's the hard part for me, especially when you've got like a, you know, like and men too, when men cry, I'm just, I, I can't, I, it's a horrible. I cry instantly, but that's the hard part is because I understand having gone through that myself, how painful it is. um, And I think for me, I try to be as empathetic as I can in the room when it's happening and support them. And then when I leave the room, I have to just leave it behind. Hmm. Um, because like you said, if I didn't, it would crush me. Yeah. Um, and knowing that I'm actually relieving suffering and ending suffering really helps. Yeah. So, um, and it's interesting because actually both of my dogs passed away this summer unexpectedly and it was a little bit refresher of just how, how absolutely painful it is. How visceral. Um, and I think I cried more this summer than I have in the last 10 years. (laughs) Um, and, but it's good to remember, like, you know, Pets have such an impact on our lives. They're with us every day. They're—I don't have children, but it's almost like you know—it's this little being that's reliant on you for yeah. for food, for for walks, for water, for everything.
1: Well, you'll hear people who don't have kids. They'll say, "I don't have kids. I have fur babies." Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so they they become these like ad hoc kids. Um, and even if you do have kids, you know, there's <laughs> our uh, our daughter Sloane will walk around and imitate the cat. So he'll be <laughs> meowing and she does it the funniest way. She's like, wheeows, she <laughs> yeah, that's not Meow. quite right, but it's close. <laughs> and it's her own sort of unique spin on it and it's hilarious and adorable. So yeah, I'm with you on that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um and and it's interesting because we have all this evidence now too that shows that actually some people grieve more for their pet than when they have a family member pass away. Um obviously depending on how close they are to the family member, but pets are so involved in our day-to-day right. lives that their absence is um, really notable and really painful for some people. Well,
1: and the thing is their innocence, too, because if you think about in movies, if you like, you watch a movie, people get killed in movies all the time, right? And yeah. audiences just sort of slough it off. They're like, oh, well, that character's done. I don't like that character yeah. anyway. If you kill a dog in a oh, movie,
0: I hate it. I can't. Um, like,
1: pe- people lose their minds. I know, I'm
0: like, don't let the dog die, please. And they're pissed. Yeah.
1: Like I, I was amazed that pe- that anyone went and saw that Marley and Me movie.
0: Oh, I, I can't watch it. I,
1: I've never seen it because I know how it's going to end. Yeah, I'm
0: like, I don't want to go through that. <laughs> I don't need to put myself through that trauma.
1: The end of Turner and Hooch. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's rough. It's brutal, and there's just something that's different. And I think it's that you can project. All the innocence onto an animal that 's guileless that has no agenda that 's not a jerk that you know yeah. isn 't like secretly racist, like maybe one of your uncles or something you yeah. know <laughs> like, yeah. uh, but uh, but you take away that innocence and it just destroys people so
0: yeah, wow yeah, i 'm with you, <laughs> yeah
1: um, okay, so rewinding quite a bit, knowing what you know now, if you can take me through. What ultimately compelled you to get into this line of work? Because you said you started as a business major. Yeah. um, But eventually you found your way here and you're now a doctor. So what led you to that initially? And if you could go back in time, what would you tell young you about this job?
0: that's, that's, last one's a loaded question. Um, Sure. So I, when I was a little kid, which many veterinarians will tell you, Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a veterinarian. (laughs) And then uh when I was in high school and got to college, I kind of shifted gears. I was doing the the business major for marketing and I was also doing a bunch of pre-health courses because I thought maybe I want to go into human medicine actually. So be mm. a human doctor or a dentist. And when I graduated, I was on that dentist path and I uh, had a job as a dental assistant at a big corporate chain that I will not Fair name. Enough. I've had a dentist on this show. Yeah. Oh, cool. I yeah. haven't listened to that one. That's uh, a good one. And I, I actually really liked being a dental assistant. I liked working in the dental clinic. It wasn't that I disliked it by any means. But at the time, I just got a wild hair to start volunteering at a local animal shelter. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. Hmm. And I thought to myself, gosh, if I, if I love this volunteer work so much, maybe I should go to vet school instead of dental school. Uh, and that's when I started working here, actually, as a kennel tech. <laughs> so cleaning up poop and walking ah. dogs, uh, doing really glamorous things.
1: Right. And Everyone's got to start somewhere, yeah, right?
0: Yeah. And they were willing to do hands-on training. And I got to the point where I was doing blood draws and placing catheters and mm. checking in appointments and answering phones and all that. And so I kind of just worked my way up. And then before I got to vet school, I was actually... Office manager. That's basically how I ended up here. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If I could go back and tell my young self, I would, <laughs> I would tell myself to save as much money as possible for my <laughs> high school job and not spend it on clothes and food, <laughs> um, because vet school is outrageously expensive. Really. And I have enough debt to buy a house.
1: Oh yikes!
0: So, and that doesn't even include the practice loan. So, um, and this is a big issue. So
1: you're just swimming in debt. Oh,
0: it's, I, it's disgusting. It's again. ghastly. Yeah, it's ghastly. <laughs> it's basically so much money that it makes more sense for me to make the minimum payment for the next 25 years and have it forgiven.
1: Oh, wow. Then
0: for me to attempt to pay it off.
1: Good Lord.
0: Yeah. So this is a, a, a big issue in vet med right now is that we pay the same amount for our higher education and for our doctorate as human doctors do. But when we come out, we don't make nearly as much money. And so hmm. the, the burden of the debt is much greater. And essentially, like I was saying earlier, without my husband, I don't think it would be financially possible for Ooh, me. Geez. Um, so I definitely would still want to be in this profession cause I love it so much, but I wish I had been wiser with money when I was younger.
1: Why is vet school so expensive?
0: So I think it's a reflection of issues with higher education costs in general. Mm. Um, But like when I left CSU, I think a year of tuition was coming up on 50,000. Good Lord. And luckily I was in state and Colorado Mm. sponsors you, which basically means the state of Colorado pays for half. Right. But if. You're coming from out of state. You're still paying that, and then I had my undergraduate debt as well. But I think that's honestly pretty consistent. And that's even a state school, right? Yeah. I think that's pretty consistent, honestly, across the board. It's not just vet school. I mean, yeah. You know, for MDS, it's the same. Yeah. It's just an issue with higher education funding.
1: Yeah, it's it, it. It seems to be you hear stories now, especially as people younger people continue to go through the system where they're just coming out with crushing amounts of debt for like a liberal arts degree. Yeah. And and you go, why? Like it and I mean we can get into that another time. Yeah. There there are any number of causes and solutions to that and we can argue about those as much as we want. Yeah. But I I don't think anyone would agree that the system as it stands right now is working for a majority of people.
0: No, it's not. And it's definitely not working for veterinarians. Yeah.
1: So Okay. Well Um, you mentioned to me, we're in a very tight space here Yeah, (laughs) and, uh, you all are maximizing your space. And I think you had someone in finance tell you that you're like maximizing your dollar value or something.
0: Well, he basically, the consultant basically told me that we make a lot more money per square foot than the majority of other clinics. Hmm. That's not to say that we're like making a crazy amount of gross revenue or anything. Um, I'm, I'm slowly working on that, making it a little bit cutting costs and stuff. Cause when I came in, um, the financial situation wasn't perfect, mm-hmm. but yeah. So yeah, we're very crammed as, as you've seen, we, we have some spaces that have dual uses.
1: Right. Here. Yeah, no, absolutely. So what's next for you, uh, in terms of where do you go from here?
0: Yeah. So my ideal goal would be to build another practice really close by mm-hmm. From the ground up um we're in a strip mall right now which is fine but it's not the most beautiful building and mm-hmm. um, so i'd like to have my own you know cute little vet clinic i want to kind of stick to the roots of being a family style neighborhood clinic where We're small enough that you get to see the same doctor, you know, every time we know who you are. Mm. um, We know your pets. We kind of know your story. um, And I really want to be able to provide that individualized care. I would just like to do it with slightly more space, a nicer building. Yeah. Ideally, I don't know, five to seven years down the road, I'd buy a little patch of real estate, build out a new clinic and set up shop there.
1: Wow, that sounds cool. One other thing I wanted to ask you was, given that you were the business owner here, how much of your time is spent actually doing veterinary medicine versus <laughs> how much is spent doing all the other business stuff?
0: So That's a really good question. And right now the vast majority is spent on the medicine hmm. and the record writing, which is the band of my existence, okay. uh, I'm extremely lucky because my office manager, Christine, is amazing. Hmm. She's super detail-oriented. She is on top of the vast majority of the businessy stuff. So she does my payroll. Hmm. If we need a new cleaner, if we need to renegotiate contracts, she is always right there, ready to she's help. She's crushing it for you. Yeah, she's crushing it. So if I didn't have her, it would be a different story. Okay. Yeah. I'd be working a lot more hours a week I, trying to cover that side of things.
1: I got you. Well, it's good. I mean, that you get to do what you want to do, that, that you're practicing medicine Yeah. Um, in, instead of dealing with all the other stuff.
0: Yeah. And I don't mind the business side. I, I enjoy it. But the reality is my value lies in, in helping yeah. Helping pets and, and interacting with clients. So Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, tell you what. This is the part on the show where we do plugs. So where can people find you? Uh, <laughs> online. In the real world, whatever you want to plug, please do it now.
0: Uh, Okay. So um, our website, which is currently being redone but should be up and running soon, is www.canyonviewah.com.
1: I liked reading it because it made me feel like I was from Boston. Because it's like Canyon View, ah. Uh.
0: <laughs> My parents are both from Massachusetts, so that's, yeah, I like that. Um, and, and then we but are. But to be
1: clear, CanyonViewAH. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: All one, no, no dashes or anything. Yeah. All, all together. Uh, and then, uh, our address is, so we're located just outside of the Ken Carroll Valley. So we're, um, on Ken Carroll, just off of C470. We're in the big Safeway shopping center mm-hmm. right there. I don't know if our address is that helpful.
1: Why not? It's
0: 12482 West Ken Carroll Avenue. I
1: will put that on the companion blog piece all on right. Us, so people can find it very easily.
0: Perfect. Uh, our phone number is 303-948-5000. If you have any questions or want to schedule an appointment, we love new clients. We love all clients. Sure. But.
1: All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Dr. Claire Ennis, this was enormously enlightening. And very much appreciate the time. Um, and also we have to give a shout out to Clint. Yes. <laughs> slash CJ. Yeah. Latham for hooking this up. Um, and when we talked on the phone, you're like, Oh yeah, Clint sent that email. I'm like, Clint, wow. So, uh,
0: yeah. he's an amazing tech guy. If anyone, anyone needs tech help, I think he mostly focuses on veterinary clinics, but
1: yeah. And I mean, he does a lot of stuff. So, I yeah. mean, he's, he's got his biking. He's got his photography. He's got his coffee business. He's evidently does this. Um, It's wild. What doesn't he do? (laughs) No kidding. He's the real Clint of all trades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, But anyway, this was an enormous pleasure and appreciate the time and continued success to you.
0: All right. Thank you. It was my pleasure.
1: And that wraps up episode 192 of the John of All Trades podcast with Dr. Claire Ennis. She's a veterinarian, also the owner of Canyon View Animal Hospital. And if you're on that side of town, even if you're not, check them out if you're looking for a new veterinarian. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. I'm getting more and more into producing podcasts for other people. So if you have a business or an organization that needs some help getting a podcast going, if you want to tell your story in a new way, I can help you with that. Everything from concepting to technical production to execution to promotion, I got it covered. dot u s. Our sponsor is Four Degrees, the number four. Dot E-S. If you're doing anything online, 4 Degrees is the place you need to go. Whether you're building a website, doing some social media promotion, or online advertising all under one house. They'll help you get the message right and get it in front of the people that will have the most impact to your bottom line. The number four, D-E-G-R-E dot New episodes drop on Wednesdays. They're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and most places where podcasts are available. Mondays, official episode previews go up. That's also where I do the first job series. Dr. Claire Ennis talked about working at National Jewish Hospital, running experiments, COPD and lung cancer. That's on Facebook only. So, J-O-A-T pod. I'm out of here. I'll be back here next week. Look for a new episode on Wednesday, new first job on Monday. And until I hear you again, say goodnight, Gracie.
0: That's good, Johnny.